the Fertility Podcast is here to help you understand more about your fertility and for the last eight years has published a lot of conversations with experts and people sharing their stories. It's now going back to its roots, giving you people's lived experiences once again to give you comfort in knowing there's a community of people who get it so you find commonality, be inspired and know you're not alone. Started by me, Natalie Silverman, a former patient, once I was pregnant after fertility treatment, I later joined forces with Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant, who is now your host. And here she is. Hello, it's Natalie, who you may know if you were previously listening to the Fertility Podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. Just to explain, I started the podcast, as you will have heard, in the trailer if you'd listen to it. Kate is now hosting it but she's lost her voice. Bless her. So I got this message from Kate to say I can't record my intro. So you've got me just to explain what you're about to hear. Now Kate has had a busy week. Despite losing her voice she was working with us at Fertility Matters at Work which is what I'm focused on now hence not recording the podcast on a regular basis and Kate was hosting a live event with one of our clients talking about endometriosis and the impact it has on people in the workplace. So it's really worth knowing that if you are wanting to have conversations in your workplace about some of these reproductive health issues like PCOS or endometriosis, it's something that we at Fertility Matters at Work are doing with Kate. We also did one just the other week about period health. So it's something to think about if you are involved in maybe organising some conversations in your workplace, we can help you. Now, what you're going to hear in this episode is a conversation with a lady called Rachel, because Kate has been doing an amazing job at sharing patient stories. And to give you a heads up, there is going to be discussions about trauma and fertility issues. And I just wanted to give you a warning to say that it does discuss domestic abuse and infant death. So it's a very poignant conversation. If it's not quite where your head's at at the moment, totally understand. But do subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date with everything that Kate is sharing with you. If you are continuing on listening, this is a brilliant conversation, insightful as always from Kate, and I do hope that you enjoy it. So hello, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here and having kind of had some communication on Instagram and read about your story. I yes. was, well, to be honest, I have to say when I first read it, and I'm not going to give anything away because you're going to tell us all about it in a minute, but when I first read it, I, I actually had to keep reading it a few times because I, I couldn't take it all in, everything that you've gone through and everything that's happened in the last few years for you, or yeah. fact, more than a few years, a number of years. Sure. It's been really incredible um, and I just think inspirational as well and I'm really excited that we can hear more about your story and that we're sharing it today so thank you so much for being willing to talk about it. Okay thank you. So Rachel do you want to start off then and just tell us a little bit give me a potted history of where it all started. So I was I was about 16 grew up in a family where you know we had a lot of changes bereavements my my father passed and my mum remarried and when she remarried she converted to Islam 
and there was a lot of pressure for mostly me I think some a little bit for my younger siblings and as I got to around the age of 16 I rebelled and started a relationship very quickly and uh, um, very quickly became pregnant I had two children from that relationship again because of the lot of the pressures that we had I actually got married to that to that man it wasn't long after my first child my son was born that um, we realized and I say we but it was a lot of, with a lot of the support from my mum that things weren't you know he wasn't developing as he probably should have been he would kind of jump when we were you know feeding him weaning him as if he wasn't seeing the spoon coming towards him so there were little things that were happening and you know I'd go back and forth to the doctors and really had quite a difficult journey but he, by the age of just over a year old he was diagnosed with um, a terminal illness called Tay-Sachs disease yeah. That must have been in tra- incredibly traumatic because not only you're you're there with your your son who's clearly you're concerned about is not developing the way that you want to, but you're young and did you find it was difficult for you to make yourself heard by it, the doctors it was initially? So difficult, Kate. I was you know I was fobbed off. I was told I was a young mum. I was told that you know I was breastfeeding him at the time, and he was really sick. He was so he was vomiting so much after his feeds. And I was told, you know, he's breastfed. This happens often to babies that are breastfed. And I didn't know the difference at that time that, you know, actually sometimes it's babies that are um, bottle fed that tend to be more sick. But, you know, I was literally having journeys back and forth to the GP until my mum started attending with me. And we was able to be seen by a paediatrician who then referred us for an eyesight test at the opticians. Um, And that's when a cherry red spot was seen at the back of his eyes. And it was automatically flagged up that this was connected to Tay-Sachs disease. And so the paediatrician then sent him for a blood test. They didn't give us any more information. So, you know, we went away and probably shouldn't have, but started doing all of the researching and trying to find out what this is. Sometimes Um, you have to empower yourself, don't you? And get that knowledge when perhaps you're struggling to feel that you're getting answers this is it but you know sometimes not knowing and then knowing but you know all those google symptoms and I can't remember if google was a thing in 2002 but I just remember maybe just about (laughs) yeah searching and when we had the appointment in January it was confirmed that he had Tay-Sachs disease and that we would need to be seen by a specialist at Great Ormond Street Hospital was literally within a week it was so quick and we was told at that point that he would have anything from a year to four years to live but if he was to live for that long or that length of time that he would really he would digress he wouldn't be able to see he wouldn't be able to hear he would have no movements and it was just you know to be told that I was just in a a bubble I remember just feeling totally numb as if it was happening to somebody else and we left the room and I remember his dad was absolutely distraught and I was comforting his dad not even taking it in myself And then kind of just being on this mode where I'm going to capture all the memories. I'm going to do all the great things with him in the short time that we had left. But at that time, I also had my daughter who was about six months. So then we was then told that, you know, she needed to be tested because maybe she was a carrier. Maybe she had this terminal illness um, as well. And there was just so much and so much new things we referred to speech and language therapists, portage, physiotherapy. It was just a lot. But 
you know, he lived after that appointment. He lived until the December that year. Oh, I'm so sorry. That must have been, I just can't imagine at a young age having to go through all of that. What then, kind of what went on then? How, how did life move on after you sadly lost your son? Yeah. What, what then What then happened? Um, so, you know, unfortunately, I think now being a lot older, I'm able to reflect and have a different kind of perspective. But his dad didn't never accepted that our son had a terminal illness and would pass away and so when he did it it, it literally destroyed him and he became really angry and that anger then turned into violence towards me there was quite a lot of significant Mm. domestic abuse it was hard I didn't want to share that with my family there was a few of my friends at the time that I could speak to and I was able to be directed to support um, how, long did it, how long did it take you before you actually reached out and, and, and got help then if you felt you couldn't um, share it with the family it, because of the, the um, incidents were quite severe police were involved social care initially so things were flagged up quickly due to those processes and you know and I accepted the support immediately and so the relationship ended probably about three months four months after you know my son passed away but then there was that slow transition feeling like I had done a lot of the journey and the care for both of my children independently of him and so it was just recognizing that I had that strength to then finally say I don't want you you know in this house or in a relationship and you need to leave there was a lot of accusations against me it was really 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 difficult and it's only now knowing that that is a really high risk time for women or even for men when they're trying to leave a relationship so so you mentioned about you reflected a lot and did your experiences of that really difficult time in your life then give you the motivation and I guess the inspiration in which to further your career because I obviously I know having yeah. spoken to you and know you know know what's been going on I know what you then eventually went into so tell us was that the catalyst that made you think I'm going to develop myself I've experienced this I've got something to give something to share was that the catalyst absolutely absolutely Kate being able to look back how grateful I was that on the journey even with my son I'd met so many other parents who had children with disabilities some lifelong disabilities I'd met mothers who'd been um, pregnant and had had stillborns or had lost babies I just felt that I was so lucky that I'd been given a kind of timeline that you know my son is going to pass in and I was able to you know gather those memories then we was also introduced to so much support that it made things a hundred times more manageable and then also with what happened with his dad and and the violence I experienced the support again from professionals was out of this world and I just felt like this is what I want to do I want to be able to give back but I also want to be able to support those who may not have that voice don't know what to do or don't have that family support and so I started a course to become a a social worker amazing (laughs) congratulations that's amazing I bet that has changed your life professionally and I bet you feel that whilst when you were 16 you were young you had children you didn't have time for you I bet this is this has been now something for you hasn't it Definitely. It's, you know, I think social workers do get a lot of bad press because it as immediately as you hear the word social worker, you just think of these professionals removing children from families. And that was when I got into it, I thought I'm never going to be that kind of social worker. I'm never going to work in child protection. And I stayed clear of it for years. And I literally worked in every other area possible. And, you know, I'd, as social work has evolved, 
so have I you know I work now in a, a mode where you're supporting families and you're helping families to stay remain together and if there are those worries how do, can we support you to uh, address those worries you know is it something that you've had this trauma and experience in your own life as an adult have you had your own childhood you know worries and experiences and we now can work with you to kind of do you need counseling you know how can we address that so that your children can stay with you and and have a better childhood and it's not just about that but working with children in care you know there's so many there's so much different aspects children with disabilities I think it's I think it's a great great career to go into and like you said lots of opportunities so if we then fast forward you've developed this lovely career for yourselves you then find a lovely man remarry everything's (laughs) you know looking good going swimmingly but then you hit another hurdle don't you Yes. So I remarried in 2017, which was something I never thought I would have done. Unfortunately, in 2020, he lives abroad. He was at work and there was gunfight, if you like, a shootout. And as wild as that sounds, he was hit in the neck by a a stray bullet. By a stray Um, bullet. A stray bullet. What are the chances of that happening? this is it and I still want to say he was lucky because there was somebody behind him who was also hit he lost his life oh my goodness we're lucky that my husband is alive and he's here but the impact of that injury of the gunshot wound it temporarily paralyzed him and then the road to recovery over the last three years now I can say has been slow but steady you know and having to try and access health care and support in Jamaica is, is really difficult you know you don't have that NHS service it's so difficult it's costly and a lot of the time you know you start to meet other people that have had similar injuries or just accidents and injuries where they have sustained disabilities and they just haven't had or been able to access the appropriate care and then have lifelong disabilities that they have to live with just because the simplest of care they were unable to to access I can't imagine it must have been so traumatic and you mentioned that he's now in the UK with you so hopefully that's helping rehabilitation as well so then obviously the obvious thing is isn't it then you you know you're with this wonderful man this lovely partner you're very happy what is it that you want you want to then have a family together (laughs) so that's the next hurdle that we find and this is it this is it Kate so he knows my daughter she'll be 20 years old in the next two months so you know I almost feel like I'm worn out (laughs) a lot older (laughs) but experience absolutely that makes all the difference my sister and I have a huge age gap we're 18 years between the two of us oh wow I know massive I have a brother in the middle nine year gap between all of us so I can understand what it's like to have that age gap so yeah yeah yeah. okay so so carry on then tell me about the next stage in your life we decided that this was something that we wanted to pursue kind of assumed that it would have happened quite quickly over the years I'd with my career with my lifestyle I'd put on weight I'm a lot older and these I found out I started to find out when it wasn't happening straight away that these were possibly some of the possibly some of the things that may have been hindering my journey you know a lot of my initial trips to the GP we're doing the deed but nothing is happening what's going on and okay you need to lose weight you're you know much older you're very you know your job your career is a very stressful one you need to make these changes and then if nothing's still in six months come back again and it was like this cycle of okay this isn't happening these are the issues it's not so easy to lose weight 
you know, this is my career. It's not so easy to just click my fingers and I'm no longer stressed out. How do I, you know, make these changes? And we did wait for a long time. And I've kind of over the last few years also kind of experienced, and I even want to say suffered with, really heavy and painful periods. And that was something that I've always kind of been going to the GP about on a separate issue. Why are my periods like this? For a good few days prior to and after my period starts, I'm really unwell. I'm lethargic. I'm in so much pain. I literally, you know, I'm in bed. Pain relief is, doesn't help. The flow is very heavy. You know, I could be out and have accidents where I'm messing up my clothes. It's just embarrassing. And that's just, I mean, it's not funny. And no, I, I feel really strongly that no woman should ever have to suffer with heavy painful periods there's no excuse and I think sadly in our culture there is that acceptation that we put up and shut up and I know that you know Natalie and I have talked about this on the podcast before and this shouldn't happen you shouldn't have to put up with heavy painful periods because it's not normal and there's assumption that oh it's normal and sadly the medical profession perpetuate that myth as well and we don't get the the care and the support or the referral to the experts that we need that we need yeah yep. yeah this, this is it so where has that all left you then on trying to conceive and, and have this much desire for family with your husband you know you feel like you're lost you don't know who to speak to you kind of reach out you start on google and then I came off of Facebook a long time ago, but I have an Instagram account and it was by chance. I can't remember what it was that I Googled. And please do share your Instagram handle because your Instagram account is very lovely and I think everyone should be following you. (laughs) Thank you. It's um, Dancing in Baby Dance. Thank you very much. I found a community where many other, and I'm not even going to say women, because there's, you know, there's men, couples, single parents, or, you know, men and women that want to be single parents, that are just desiring to have a child, to have that family, everyone kind of having a really difficult time with infertility, and the community, when I found it, I was like, wow, and, you know, I didn't really want to join with my own personal account, because I I just felt that there was this taboo and really difficult maybe people didn't understand as much or to kind of start talking about something so intimate and sensitive and that isn't just you know as myself as a social worker or as a mum already but it was also you know in the culture that we've kind of grown up in and that, that my husband is from there is a kind of perception that you know you shouldn't be infertile just drink this drink here or just eat this you know, strengthen up your back and have a child. So when you face with infertility and, you know, you can't give your husband a child or your husband doesn't give you a child, it's almost like you're doomed and it's a horrible, horrible feeling. There's a lot of expectation. Does that blame, have you noticed that the blame has come from your husband's side of the family? And is that blame portioned more at you or is it portioned at you both equally? How does that work? I think that is from husband's side of the family, although my own family have that side of things as well. I think it's not as imperative because they're British born and they're over here. Whereas, you know, my husband, is, he's just come over from not long been in the UK. It's very much that, you know, there's that kind of unspoken culture, if you like. And it's almost like looked upon initially as the woman. But then it it kind of then leads into the man. Well, how comes it hasn't happened? Why is the man, what's the man lacking that he hasn't done that? So I think in general kind of society, and maybe that's changing as kind of male fertility is becoming more talked about and understood. But I think people do assume 
the, the problem lies initially with a woman. And I can say from you know my own perspective of consulting many of my patients, I will often see a woman who will absolutely say, "Yep, yeah, no, I you know I've got PCOS, so I know it's, it's my me. fault." And then when I dig deeper, I find out that the partner hasn't had a sperm test. So I'm like, right, yes. okay, you know, I understand that you're concerned because of your own condition, but until we actually know what's going on with your partner, there could be a male fertility factor there as well and it's something that we do need to investigate but I think there's often that block there in, in for women themselves thinking well it has to be my fault it's my body it's my womb I'm not yeah. able to fulfill this very basic need and there's a lot of blame there yeah I do feel like that as well because I said initially I started you know approaching the GP and it was like okay we can because you've already got a child we can offer you some of the investigative tests on the NHS but we wouldn't be able to offer you treatment and it was the focus was solely on me at first let's look at your egg count uh, your AMH levels also known as let's look at your blood work all of this it was like okay and my levels were coming back really well you know what else could it be still this whole thing of you need to lose weight you need to lose weight you need to lose weight it's drummed in your head until it almost feels abusive and even again you know just being on Instagram and finding we've got our I think she calls herself the fat fertility Nicola Salmon Salmon. absolutely amazing and her book and her kind of theory has just not even her theory it's just changed my whole perception and you know as I said to you I like that kind of thinking of the cup is half full you know let's put things let's be positive and let's try and remain positive and she does that and it's not about you know she talks about statistics she talks about research and it gives you that reassurance and confidence that it's not you know solely about your weight absolutely not and I think you know it's so important to look holistically and look at everything Mm -hmm. I think it's so important not to ignore the fact that you know yes evidence and research does show us that women who are carrying extra weight may take longer to conceive Mm -hmm. but it's the way Mm -hmm. that it should be dealt with in a sensitive nature not in this kind of fat shaming you know and I know Nicola uses the word fat very easily and it it trips off her tongue I find it difficult to say that word because I feel I don't want to insult anybody or make anyone feel bad but it's that fat shaming which I know is a term it's that blaming and it's trying to avoid that blame culture and dealing with in a really sensitive way but equally it's not the only thing I always talk about a puzzle and there's lots of different Mm -hmm. pieces that could be missing in that puzzle there's never just one thing there's lots of different things that you have to put in I mean, even with that, you know, just looking at different kind of ways. So that was something that was brought up by the GP. They were talking about de-stressing. And I, I've always been someone who's loved to exercise and use the gym. But because of my career, I've never really had enough time. I'm not a morning person. I've tried getting up at like 6 a.m. to go to the gym, but I never have kind of incorporated that into my routine. But one of the things I did start was a course of or, you know, trying out acupuncture and reflexology. And I found it absolutely amazing. It was fertility focused uh, again. So I could go in and I would, it was almost like, I don't know if anybody watched Fraser. <laughs> that might be too Long time ago, yeah. Long time ago. Yeah, going in and sitting on the sofa yeah. and having this um, moment for yourself. It's for yourself, it isn't was it? It was a safe space, really calming. We had the dehumidifier going off with the lavender scents and the plants all around. Nice. and we go through our charts and look at look at you know when are you ovulating what's your temperatures look like okay then we're going to work we're going to focus the acupuncture needles on this area today and we're going to do this okay get in and we have the foot massage and we de-stress and we book it was absolutely 
amazing and that was with Hannah Pern she's in Streatham she's got a, a clinic in Streatham and Balham and I think it was on top of everything of this journey it's something that's really supported me because it has helped me to really de-stress and I am a firm believer in self-care and I think that's so important whilst on this journey what you've just said there leads me really to my last question for you (laughs) and already you've given some great advice and tips but what is the one thing that you wished you'd known about way back when that would make a difference or could make a difference to your fertility journey now and that you would like to share with our listeners you know just thinking about it I think you know we almost take for granted when we're younger and we you know we've come out of school and we're told that you, you're intimate with your partner and then two weeks later you take a pregnancy test and you know you're pregnant and it isn't like that for so many people infertility is real and I would just say that there needs to be more focus on women's health you know we, it's not a quick fix in terms of okay let's give you the pill you've got heavy periods or you've got facial hair in places that you shouldn't have let's give you the pill it's about having those investigations from early I think in a relationship you know it's not just be about the woman so you know have that arrange that sperm analysis from earlier on and also you know even if possible consider freezing your eggs because we just never know what our journey is going to entail. And, you know, as for me, I never would have thought that I would have been a social worker. And, you know, I'm approaching the age of 40 now. My, you know, I've got a child who's nearly 20 and I want another child. So that is unfortunately a factor that is against me age. But, you know, if, I think if I was aware of some of these things before or earlier, I would have been able to take a different or make a different plan and had all of these things to consider so I could make an informed decision and I think that's the greatest thing I absolutely agree with you I think that's the greatest gift that we can give young people is to give them the knowledge that they're empowered with their health and with their fertility so that they can make the sensible choices in the future Rachel thank you so much for telling your story on the fertility podcast I massively appreciate it it's been so interesting (laughs) listening to everything that you've gone through but equally everything that you've become as well as a result of what you've gone through so thank you for sharing that it's been amazing I really really massively appreciate it I wish you thank you all the best going forward I really do hope that you're able to continue to create that wonderful family lovely thank you so much I really appreciate it and the space as well you're welcome well wasn't she just lovely it was fabulous to talk to Rachel And so interesting to hear how her experiences have then really instilled the desire to train as a social worker and to understand more about that whole arena was just fascinating. I think what was just really interesting to hear when I asked Rachel about one thing that she wished she'd known at the very beginning of her fertility journey, and it was to understand more about her fertility and to feel empowered at an earlier age. And obviously she was facing getting pregnant at a really young age and then all of the trauma and heartache that went on for her through all of that as well, which you just can't imagine at that young age dealing with that. So I think it's really important that we all feel that we can become empowered and knowledgeable in our fertility. So she made a really valid point when I asked her what one thing that she wished she'd known more about the beginning of her fertility journey. And it was the desire to understand more about her own fertility and women's health. And so she could make the right choices. And I think that's so important for us all to be aware of. I often talk about the need to 
feel empowered about our fertility. And the earlier you can find out that information about yourself, even if you are not necessarily wanting to conceive straight away, but just to have that information to become knowledgeable, empowered and understand more about fertility and women's health so that you can be a step ahead, maybe. And often think about, you know, not delaying going to see your GP and getting some investigations. Rachel talked about going to get a sperm test done, you know, getting those things done early so that you've then got options. And she also talked about egg freezing as well and making that decision to do that if that was where you are. And so it's all these things that I think we just don't talk enough about. Um, And that's because they're shrouded in taboo, aren't they? As you'll know, Natalie, now that she's... um, taking a bit of a sidestep from the podcast is doing loads of work with the other two girls from Fertility Matters at Work and talking to organisations about fertility in the workplace and I'm also um, doing the same with the organisations that I work with so we're getting the word out there we're breaking down the taboos in the workplace it's starting that there are conversations that are happening which is great but I still think we need to talk about it together And one thing that I'd urge you all to do is talk about fertility, talk about pregnancy loss with your girlfriends and your boyfriends. Get talking about it, get chatting about it. We're starting to talk more about menopause, which is fantastic, but we need to be discussing fertility more. So I know it's difficult and sometimes it's really hard to start those conversations, but the more we talk about it, the better. And what I always find is once you open up that subject, it's amazing how many people will say, oh yeah, no, I've been struggling to conceive or yeah, I, you know, I experienced a miscarriage. So just get those conversations out there. So that's one thing that I would ask you to do. If you could do that for me this week, start a conversation about fertility with your girlfriends and your boyfriends. Please do rate and review the podcast as it's brilliant for other people to know what you think. Even just hitting follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast really helps other people know it's worth a listen. Also follow Kate on her Insta, which is Your Fertility Nurse. And if you'd like to book in a consultation with Kate to understand more about your fertility and reproductive health, visit yourfertilityjourney.com. 